Good morning, Sarah. Hi. It's Saturday and Eric is camping. So it's just me and the kid and the dog. I believe we discussed our camping feelings last week. I know. I was really grateful for everybody who supported me in my time of crisis. Here's what I really do want to know, though. You'll have to investigate. Like, when grown-ups camp without children, mm. are there still s'mores? Guaranteed no, because I saw what went out of the door <laughs> food-wise. Although I will say this. Yesterday, I woke up, and it was like 8 o'clock in the morning when I ventured into the kitchen, and he was baking bread. And I was like, sure. and for those of you who don't, I don't think I've ever talked about this, but Eric, like, has been a baker for not, he's not a quarantine baker. Like, he has been a baker for several years. Um, so, which is really nice, because every once in a while you can say, like, what if we had fresh bread this weekend? And, you know, the fresh bread appears, um, which is really nice. Uh, but this, usually it, like, takes some time. There's, like, a kind of run-up to, I'm going to bake bread. It's like a whole day affair. Um and I woke up this morning or yesterday morning and he was baking fresh bread and that was great because the house smelled like fresh bread but then he baked two loaves and took them both with him which I think is kind of you know unkind I'm airing my grievances knowing that later he'll listen to this he'll hear it and we'll have like a secret like this will be our my this is like our therapy sure (laughs) and he'll be like god damn it (laughs) he does bring that up sometimes he's like you know I don't think (laughs) many husbands who get who have to like edit their wives to make them sound good while they're complaining about marriage and I'm like think of the growth think of how evolved you are as a human now oh absolutely you have such intense awareness of ladies Yesterday, Mr. Reed's Romance, I was, I'm was i reading this book called Empire of Pain, which is, as you can guess, not a romance. It is a nonfiction book by Patrick Redenkeefe, who wrote a book I loved called Say Nothing. It's about the Sackler family who made, Oof. like, billions of dollars off OxyContin, right? Oof, those Sacklers. So here, I've been married to Mr. Reed's Romance for over 20 years. I guess, almost, over, whatever, 20 years. And he said to me, he said... How do you have time to read another book? And I almost fell off the couch. I was like, what What does that even mean? There's always time to read another book. Like, the, you do you even know I me at all? My time. Look around the fucking house, man. Like, where, where do you think all these like paper things are coming from? It was honestly pretty funny. I just gave him like the like a look like who do you think you are married to, sir? The quarantine has broken me though cuz I'm I've I now have too many books. And I never, I I mean, I'm a grown woman in the world, and I've never felt that I had too many books. Yeah. But now they're just taking over. They're everywhere. And so, people online are like, I tweeted about this, and somebody yeah. was like, you should switch to E. And I was like, ma'am, who are you talking to? Like, <laughs> they're there too. I also have too many e-books. <laughs> but, but actually, and then other people were like, well, maybe you should try reading them. And I'm like, bitches, I do read them. <laughs> They're just coming into the house. I have read all these books. I just don't want to get rid of all these books. So we're going to have to cede the apartment to to them. We're going to have to move. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, I actually get rid of a lot of books. I, I, I used to not be this way, but you move a couple times and then you realize books are expensive to move and you move them. So, but I have had, I have some like, 
There's a, in Hyde Park every fall, there's like a Hyde Park book sale where all the Hyde Parkers donate their books to the book sale and then all the other Hyde Parkers come and buy them. <laughs> it is essentially the most Hyde Park thing ever. You're just ever. moving your books around with your neighbors. From one Hyde Parker to another, <laughs> exactly. yes. <laughs> it is honestly delightful. And I, every fall, it is like a real opportunity to like move books out. Sure. And of course, they did not have it last fall. So I think that's part of my... Yeah. The, the log jam. I mean, I my problem is that I have read a lot of really good books in print over the last year, and now I don't want to get rid of them. But, like, I know that I'm probably not going to read most of them again. You know, obviously, I, I want to keep all the ones that are by my friends. Sure. But then, like, do I need Daisy Jones and the Six? Am I going to read that again? Probably not. And if you did, you could borrow it from the library because the library probably has 800 million copies. Yeah. And then I think, like, well, what if... You know, what if my daughter decides someday she wants to read it? <laughs> it's like, well, then she could go to the library. <laughs> yeah. I have heard, I've never listened to Daisy Jones and the Six in audio, but I've heard it's amazing. It's a full cast recording. Oh, Like, really? different people for all the voices. Everyone says it's amazing. Oh, I bet that's good. You know, th- that book really got the the full publishing glow up. Oh, yeah, it did. It's a great book, though. I enjoyed it. And it's also a Reese book club pick, that which is, helps. I think the definition of the full glow up, is it not? Thank you, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon. And I, and she's making a movie or something of it. I mean, it's a whole nine. Anyway, we were criticized on, I read a review oh. of us. that. I, what are you doing, Sarah? <sighs> look, look, it's rough. This week, I finished my types of pages. Bombshell is coming, you guys, August 24th. Please pre-order it um, because, you know, it's... A book that I wrote. <laughs> we'll put links in show notes. It'll be a whole thing. But, you know, Eric and Jen told me that I have you to do. start telling you Invest guys to buy time. my book. Yeah. So please buy my book. But besides that, um, so I finished it and then I was sort of like, oh, I have so much free time. And then, like, I found myself on Goodreads, which was a mistake. And then I was reading podcast reviews, which are, you guys have all been so kind. We have so many really lovely reviews. Um, but, you know, I like to read the negative ones because I just like to feel bad about myself. And um, somebody said that sometimes we just have too much banter at the beginning. Listen. <laughs> Fast forward. <laughs> there are chapters, everybody. Like, just fast forward to the chapters so. you want to listen to. I, 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 I don't. I'm not mad. Anyway, I don't. I don't actually feel bad about the banter at the beginning because it's like I get to see Jen's face like once a week, and this is what we do. It's so nice. I mean, not like we don't talk all sure. day long. I know it's every fine. day, but you know, you know, here's my thing. Like, I'm not mad about it because I am a person who sometimes when I go to like look at a recipe on a blog and it's like the whole story, I'm like, just let me get to the recipe. So I, I understand I that feeling. It's fine. Do what you need to do, everybody. You know, let me explain. Here, more banter. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, listener. Um, but I read an article actually by a food blogger who was like. You people get so pissed off at us because you have to scroll through so much stuff to get to the actual recipe. But the truth is is that if we don't have that stuff at the top, Google doesn't index the page. I believe it. Oh, of course. So we so you don't get this morning. I, you know, made oatmeal, maple oatmeal muffins. They're delicious. Right. They're moderately healthy, I guess. I mean, they're I don't know. I don't know what they are. They're muffins, so they're not that healthy, but 
I feel like I'm putting oats into my kid <laughs> when I make these. So I may, and I'll, I'll put, po- I'll give, we'll put the recipe in show notes. See, it's there delicious. you go. I made them this morning. We're food bloggers now. And um, look, we're a full service podcast. And, um, and like, there is one recipe that I love, but you literally have to scroll like, yeah. but now I feel like, okay, I understand. I have to get through the banter. Yeah, I'm not mad about it. Of course. So that's all it is, you guys. We're you gotta get through the banter to get to the rest. <laughs> See, there you go. Wait, can I tell you one more very exciting piece of information? Yesterday we paid the deposit for Little Romance to go Yay! to Wesleyan University in Connecticut. Yay! And the reason I am especially excited about this is because Wesleyan University in Connecticut is not that far from New York City. And And that is where I live. Is Little Romance ready for me to like roll up on move-in day and be like, I bought you this Bob Marley poster because you're going to need it. <laughs> and also this poncho. Yes, good luck, sir. I went to Smith, so that's sure. what we had. We had Bob Marley posters and ponchos. <laughs> so anyway, all my plans are coming to fruition, and I'm really excited about it. And I think it's going to be a great fit Wait, for him. what did you have on the wall of your college dorm room? Um... Freshman year. Okay, I vivid, this is actually a really funny story that you asked. Okay, so I grew up in Cleveland, everybody, and I had a poster, like a Cleveland poster, because everybody was, which is really funny to me, and, you know, I was like, this is where I'm from, because nobody was from Ohio. Everyone is from Ohio, though, and I'm a grown-up. When you went, go away to college, people literally in Philadelphia were like, where's that? I was like, in the state next to us, as it turns out, <laughs> right? And I remember a guy from New York totally roasted me. He was like, Cleveland has like three buildings. (laughs) (laughs) And at that point, I had not actually been to New York City yet because I still was, you know, a freshman and hadn't been there yet. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I went to New York and I was like, oh, and I am now that asshole because I live in Chicago and I go to to other like, you know, good sized cities. I remember driving up to Denver once. Very... Very acceptable cities. Yes. We're not criticizing No, of course not. Here. I love cities. I'm a city person. But I drove, we were driving up to Denver in the middle of the night in like a a super shuttle. And the woman next, I was like, is that it? And she's like, I think so. And we were like, it's adorable. And we were, I'm sure, such jerks about it. So I, it was, yeah. But I don't know. I think a lot of like you 2 Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. I had a Pulp Fiction oh, poster. Oh, there you go. Sure. Like from, because my friend Matt, shout out Matt, worked at a movie theater and I was a tr- very basic. <laughs> <laughs> I was trash for Quentin Tarantino movies. I saw Pulp Fiction like 12 or 15 times in the movie theater when I was in high school. So I had a Pulp Fiction. I had like the movie version, the like movie theater giant glossy version of Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. And I had a James Dean poster that I bought at the poster place. It was like James Dean, Bob Marley, Marilyn Monroe. I had the James Dean one. Uh, Yeah, all that. And, yeah, and other stuff, too, I'm sure. Well, well, there you go. Anyway, so there you go. That's not a real thing for absolute ads. I feel like we would just tear them out of magazines. and Well, because they were great then. We would just tear them out of magazines, and then that was... Oh, yeah. Decorating. Yeah. I'm going to see somewhere in this house, I have a photograph of my freshman dorm room wall. And if I can find it. I do not have one of mine, but I have one of Kelly's. I'm not going to share it, but it is fascinating to look at. And I was (laughs) like, oh my God, look at all this. But also like a lot of that stuff is, I'm still like, 
counted trash for. Oh, him, yeah. So. Sassy Magazine. Po- like, all that's... Oh, Sassy. Remember Do you know sassy. there's apparently a Sassy Magazine podcast? What? Kelly was telling me about it. Let's get on it. I want to get on it. How do I get on the Sassy ma- Magazine podcast? We should podcast? find out and reach, reach out to them. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that Jamie Green's husband hosts a podcast about the Babysitter's Club? No, that's amazing. And then, like, as a spinoff to that podcast now, because I think they've, they're, like, done with yeah. the Babysitter's Club, they now have co- they cover other media where there are babysitters. <laughs> so they did, like, Tessa Dare's The Governess Game. <laughs> okay. I think this is incredibly charming. And sure. Shout out to Jamie Green's husband. It could turn real dirty real fast if they were willing to do that Selena Kitt book about uh, the Baumgartner's babysitter or whatever. <gasps> that is real. That is one of those books that, like, early, early days, days. I read, I read that, that book. And was like, it was, like, one of the first eroticas that, like, popped onto yes. the Kindle. And, I mean, I remember being like, oh, boy. Yeah. It's, like, literotica turned romance novel. I mean, look, it's straight up porn. It's fine. Yeah. I'm not mad about it. I'm just telling you that. No. But it is weird how we all well, read that I book. Do, okay, you know what? Right? It was like the this only one. This is going to be a good segue because I did go real back into the <laughs> vault to, for like a, a romance for today. And I ended up looking at my Kindle in like my content and devices in reverse order of like the things I bought first. Mm. And it really was fascinating to see like, okay, so I got my first Kindle in 2009. And it was really fascinating to go back and look at the thing, like, right, like, the earliest romances I read read on there. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely one of them. I mean, so I guess it was just maybe there wasn't as many choices, but I feel like everybody read that book, and it is filthy. Uh, yeah. Indeed it is. You let Jamie's husband know. <laughs> I am kidding. I, I don't he think you will. should let Jamie's husband know. <laughs> All right. We're talking about Widows today. And not the amazing movie, which I know a lot of people didn't like, but I love that movie. Yeah. I liked that movie, too. But no, we're talking about Widows, like, we're talking about Widows in romance novels. And we are going to unpack some of the weird things that happen to Widows in romance How novels. How did we come up with this because topic, sir? Do you remember? Did someone suggest it? No. I'm trying to think because I we came up with it yeah, like literally this week. You were like, "Let's do widows," and I was like, "Yeah." And it obviously. was like I had read a book and said, "Like, oh, we should do widows because," but I can't remember what. Oh, you know what it was? It was Nikki Sloan's redemption. So I came late to the Filthy Rich American series, which I know many, many, many of our listeners, including. Um, Joanna Shoup, just love that series. I've read the first one. Um, The way, yeah, the first three books are about the same couple. And it's, There's cliffhangers. You know, they're, each one ends on sort of a cliffhanger. And there's kind of a, like, question mark about whether or not the heroine is going to end up, like, boning the hero's dad. And she doesn't, but, like, she kind of, it's all, like, Mentally, it all happens. So it doesn't matter that on the page it doesn't happen. Like, I sure. I don't know. There, we could do an entire episode about that that whole series, the Filthy filthy Rich, rich American series. And we're not going to because we've done Nikki Slim before, and I'm sort of a Stanford, sure. and everybody knows that. Anyway, um, the premise of that first three books, though, is like, so there's the hero, and then there's the dad, and the dad is like 
55 or something, but, like, hot and amazing and a multi-billionaire and, like, perfect in every way and, like, alpha to the teeth, right? And he's, like, domineering and, like, tough and, like, feels nothing, right? He has never felt the feeling. And the whole time, of course, because romance readers are trash, I'm, like, when do I get this guy's yeah, book? Right. Like, who, she should end up with this monstrous <laughs> <course>. man. <laughs> who does monstrous things sure. to her? And then, and to his son. Like, she's, like, she and her, his son are in love. And this, this guy is like, I'm going to fuck your lives up so that I can have you. Like, he's terrible. But then he goes to jail, spoiler alert, at the mm-hmm. end of the series. And then... Uh, there's a break, and then the fourth book in the series is called The Redemption, and it's about McAllister, the dad, like, finally falling in love. And it turns out, and as I was reading it, so he's in his third yeah. marriage. This is, or this woman will be his third, her, his third marriage. And his first two wives died, and the first wife he really okay. loved. And, like... When she, like, fell off a horse because, you know, rich people. (laughs) I was going to say that. (laughs) Um, They, you know, and, and, you know, she died. He was wrecked. Like, he, he, the whole family was wrecked by this death. And then, like, he had to learn to love again. And, like, I'm a sucker for that idea. This idea of, like, I loved once and then, you know, I blame myself because we were in a fight. And then she got on a horse and she rode away and then she fell and I never got to tell her that I loved her. And, you know, I'm a bad person and I can never feel a feeling again until you. (laughs) Right? Which is a great, that's, like, that is a particular widower piece. Like, I think we have to talk about widowers and widowers separately. And then I think we have to talk about, like, old school widows and, like, historical widows. Contemporary. Contemporary widows. And maybe I also mean, like, widows from the 1980s versus widows from the 2020s. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So that's my agenda for the day. All right. Let's hit it. (laughs) All right, done. <laughs> Scene. I was like, and then there's, again, furious widows whose husbands have done them wrong, and they blow up all of Chicago. That is also. Yeah, burn it yeah, down, widows. I like I like that brand as well. Okay, so well, what do you want to talk about first? I mean, that's a big list. I think we should talk about the, the early. Yeah. I think we should do it in, do it in order, because I think we have to talk about what a widow means on the page. Yeah. Because we still see those early widows. We now. do. I would agree. I would agree. So when we talk about these early widows, we're talking about, I mean, often they were historical. I, was, I really think a historical contemporary is a big split. But I think even in historical, it's changed over time. But I also think that in, like, con- in like category contemporaries, you see a lot of these old yes, school Yes, I was going to say that. Heroine I was widows. at Target like, yesterday, and I thought, I should just buzz through and, like, pick up like, a bunch of Harlequin sure. presents or whatever. Because I bet, although those are always, like, the virgins, like, you know, Harlequin desires or something. Because I was thinking that mm-hmm. in category, you still get that old prototype. Yeah, you get, like, the widow, the war widow mm-hmm. with, like, two children. And then, like, you know, somebody comes and, quote, I'm doing air quotes, like, saves her. And, like, you know, brings her to a new world. And, like, teaches her to love Okay, again. so, like, let's say that's widow prototype number one, right? I feel like there's also a widow prototype in historical, which is, 
I had a miserable first marriage because I got married. All, I was young and on the march, the marriage mart, and got married off to some gross old man. Old right, dude. and he died, and now I'm free, and I'm free in a way that I could not be otherwise. Why would I want to I marry think this again? Is widow prototype number okay. one actually? All right. Like I think this is the critical. This is the first okay. widow we ever yeah, started I was, to okay. see. Okay, I think because this is the virgin widow mm-hmm. too. Like yeah. they're tied together. So yeah, I think you're right. I think in historicals in the early days, you put a widow on the page and they had freedom. Right? They didn't need. They often had mm-hmm. a lot of money. They didn't need a chaperone. Like, they could kind of explore kind of darker corners or, like, more exciting bits without anybody really judging. They could be, quote, a sure. merry widow, right? The um, That's evolved in historicals now because I think a lot of those of us who write historicals care less about chaperones right. now sure. than we did before. It, like, in my early books, I was always like, who's chaperoning this, you know, ingenue? And now I'm like, nobody's chaperoning her. She slipped she slipped her chaperone three right, books ago. Right, right. <laughs> now, like, we're just living the life. Well, can I say one other thing, though, that I think is really important about this, though, yeah. is, so she's, like, obviously she doesn't need a chaperone, and there's all that. Right, that's, like, on right. the page for you. But I think that means the decision, like, the crux of a lot of these books was that marriage was never about love. Right. So now I'm going to enter into a, a potential relationship and fall in love, and I have to decide whether or not marriage and love can go together. Yes. Right? Yes. I also think that there is a—I think it it's designed in those early books to underscore, like, the way that women are chattel. Yes. Right? Like, the way that women—life happens to these women— so you're right. I mean, the, the sort of freedom piece is really secondary. It's helpful in the writing. But, yeah. like, the purpose of putting a widow on the page is to say, you know, she was married off to this horrible mm-hmm. old man by her horrible father. Yeah. Right? Um, and never given an opportunity to, like, have her own opinions or her own feelings or her own yeah. life. And then... It all gets wrapped up in either my first marriage was terrible, Mm -hmm. right? Like the sex was bad, the person was bad. Often these women have been hit or harmed in some way by their first husbands. Um, And then, but then the secondary, the second piece of that, the like Venn diagram cross, the the other circle in the Venn diagram is virgins, right. right? So it's like the prisoner of my desire. Right. And you still see concept. I'm going to talk about Cold Hearted Rake by Lisa Klepis. And that is, oh, right? Oh, yeah. There's, There's a, a virgin, virgin widow. A virgin widow. You know what? In the past five years, it probably has been written. So. Yeah. But so this is like. I mean, the one that always comes, I will never, like, Prisoner of My Desire lives rent-free in my head. We did a whole episode on it in season one, so we're not going to go back to it, and, like, I'm not going to dwell on it, but we'll link to it. But the concept there is, like, heroin married to terrible man, it's their wedding night, he's about to, like, consummate the marriage, and thank God this terrible person has a heart attack. Like, he's so old, he basically drops dead before he can even do it. Like, before he can, like, have penetrative sex with her, right? And so she is like, oh, shit. 
because this marriage requires an heir, require right. like for romance sure. reasons, like she needs to get pregnant fast. And so she sends her team out to find a replacement for her dead husband so that she can get pregnant as right. fast as possible and pass it off. Well, and her evil the, brother is involved and right there's a, Right, there's more. like other stuff happening there. There's a lot going on, but that's like that virgin widow construct mm-hmm. where it's like terrible man about to have sex with her passes out or like you know dies on his on the marriage bed is like a real trope of the early romance days. And I feel bad saying this. Like, I feel like I didn't really do my due diligence to, like, name a— If you're like, hmm, that sounds interesting, I'd like to read more of those. I mean, I'll put some in show notes, but I feel like it's so common, I don't have a lot of titles. But I do feel like at some point there was, like, a step down from the he was abusive and terrible to just that, like— it was a boring marriage, and he wasn't great in bed, and she just never had, and right there's sort of the like a yeah. Wait, before we move yeah. forward to that though, I do have oh, a okay. second book. Oh, good, people can read okay. an old school. Again, like all of these come with like check your content warnings. These are all books from like the eighties and night and early nineties, sure. and like I haven't reread this one, but. Jane Feather. You remember Jane Feather? Oh, yeah, totally. Jane Feather uh, wrote the book Vice, where <laughs> the, heroine, um, the heroine is married to, a like, an awful old man, and um, he's, like, gross, and she clocks him in the head with, like, a oh, yeah. chair when leg they or accidentally and murders them. him. Oh, yeah, that's good. Like, he that's accident- the right there. She accidentally killed him. And she's like, oh, God, no one will believe that I accident, like, that this was an accident. And no one will ever think that he deserved it. Like, I should just lie back and take this is the kind of, you know, concern. And that's a real. Absolutely. There's something very, like, authentically real about that, right? So she does what anybody would do and she takes off. Like, and then she ends up, she lands kind of in the clutches of a handsome duke of course and has no money no power she's in hiding and um she offers to become his mistress and so like it's that like so it's also a mistress book you know what this reminds me of and i feel like we should say this back in the day the reason that i mean literally women on page back in the day even in contemporaries for a long time, were either virgins or widows. And it was kind of like if a woman was sexually experienced. Well, it was the same. It was accessible. Like, if a woman was sexually experienced, she was a widow. She had to be. She just couldn't be sexually active, right? And so I think that that is something that has also changed a lot. And so I think the widow archetype especially was doing something really different back then because it was sort of like the, I don't know, like, okay, this is a woman of experience. Yeah, but also, I think it's also like, it's the same reason why we talk about rape on the page in those early books being important culturally. Yeah. Like, it was the place where um, 
you know, romance is a domestic genre. It's a place where women who were the, like, largely the readers of romance are mm-hmm. women. Um, and cis het women who are in relationships yeah. with men, right? And in many cases in these early days, and in many cases now, right, in partnerships with men who are abusive, yeah. right, or who mistreat them in some way. And so I think this kind of book is addressing that in a head-on yeah. manner. Like, marriage is, in many cases, transactional. And in many cases, you know, people in the marriage are mistreated. And so... In the same way that rape on the page or assault on the page was to speak to, to sort of acknowledge that that existed, that exists for women. In this case, I do think there is some sort of very overt, like these bad marriages exist. And imagine if you could get out of one, kind of clock your terrible merit, your terrible partner on the head. And get out. Like, there is a something There is something very powerful and, like, fantastic yeah. about that. Well, and I do. I think that's—it's really interesting. So, I guess I just think, like, that's the other thing. When I remember back now, it was like, even if you—I mean, even in contemporaries, to a certain extent, maybe it changed, I would say, in the late 80s, like, a woman would be a widow— because even if it was like a you know terrible marriage, like even thinking back to like gentle pirate, a woman would be a widow because it was like a way of putting an experienced woman who'd had life experiences on the page without having to, I guess, like run into the judgmental reader or publisher or whoever who was like, no, sex within marriage and that's it, right? There's no other, that's it. Yes. I mean, there's also the piece where in most of these books, it took a long time to get to a place where you could read a widow book and have the widow have had decent sex in the past. Like, it was almost exclusively, oh, I was married, but the relationship was either terrible. Either it was so terrible I murdered him on our wedding night. Or it was just, like, mediocre. Right. That's what I was getting to. My husband, I mean, I'm trying to think about— I. Not long ago, I reread a a historical or or a book from you know you know your yeah where where like the heroine was never like the the hero the heroine's first husband like never allowed them to like put the lights right. on like sure. sheets were always up like she had no idea what was even going on any of the pieces of the sex despite the fact that she had had sex and before. you I would right? I hate to say it you still do see some of that now and I. It's like one of my least favorite things, right? Like I've I've never had an orgasm. Yeah, I never or had I've good never sex. had I've never you know, and I am always like my first husband was right. Not. And it's and I think it I think it's related back to a an idea that's very steeped in the genre. And I think a lot of people are are clawing away from it, but you do still see it places, which is the greatest sex you will ever have in your life is with this person that is going to be the the person for you for the rest of your life. And so every other sexual experience, if you have them, has to be subpar compared to this one. Yeah. I mean, because the fantasy, this is where romance bangs up against fantasy, right? Because the fantasy is that when you are with this new person, this person who is your happily ever after, right, 
No one ever dies after a happily ever after in romance. Every one of my heroes and heroines is going to live forever, right? And they're going to live happily and young and have great sex until they die. Well, they're never going to die. Back to the beginning. They're going to, they're just, that's it. They're just, they're 200 year old, like book Mm -hmm. vampires who are just having great sex forever, right? And I think that the challenge with that is that you want the happily ever after to be with the one, whatever that means. And so it's like, it has to be, well, I had great sex. There's like this balance of like, well, I had great sex before, but like now this is, this is transcendent. Except it doesn't have to be like that. And I feel like it isn't for a lot of people now, right? A lot of people are like, I've had great sex in the past and this is great too. And it doesn't, that doesn't have to take away anything from it. But I do think when we talk about widows and romance, we're often talking about sexual um, satisfaction is a really big part of it. And I think it's just really interesting the way that plays out. And not just in books that are from the 80s and 90s, even from books that are pretty recent. Do you want to start with Virgin Widows, Sarah? I don't have a recommendation that, like, I would say, uh, categorically, this is a fabulous book. I liked Cold-Hearted Rake a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, I do. I agree with that. And so the setup of Cold-Hearted Rake is that... um, Kathleen is our is our our heroine, and she is living at Eversby Priory, like sort of out in you know wherever it is in the middle of you know not not London in the the green pasturey part of England, whatever that's called. And um, her husband has died, and so they kind of are all waiting around for like the new earl or whoever to show up right and it's it's devin ravenel and he comes with his brother west and um because of course she can't inherit like you know whatever that law is right I forget what it's called prima yeah primogenitor and she's taking care of um her late husband's sisters they were only married for three days before he got thrown off an arabian horse she raises horses and there you go you know, exactly. You see, that's why I left earlier, right? <laughs> and what the the secret, essentially, and, you know, you figure it out pretty fast, is that he, he, got, he went out on the wedding night and got wasted, got drunk with his friends, came home, scared the hell out of her. And she, she, they never consummated the marriage. She, like, basically ran off and told him that she was not going to, like, do anything with him until he calmed the fuck down. And he loses his temper. That's why he loses his temper. So not only is she a virgin widow, she feels this terrible guilt because if it wouldn't have, wouldn't have been for this fight they had, right? He never would have got on this horse. He didn't know how to ride because, of course, he thought he could do anything. He was a man, and, right? And so it's all layered in there together. But, of course, Devin, oh, so careful with her. I know. Uh, yeah. Well, nobody does that better than yeah. Lisa. Like, that contemporary blue-eyed devil where the heroine is not a widow, but she has escaped a really horrible, abusive relationship, right. like an abusive marriage. And she is like, and the hero is so careful yeah. with her. Like, I mean, nobody does that better yeah. than me. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's, you know what? This is a series, you know, I really have a, I I really like this Ravenel series. It's, it's, it's really working for me. And the one it's that lovely. is coming, I'm not going to, no spoilers about it. I've read the one that comes out this July, which is called The Devil in Disguise. And the heroine of that one is also a widow. 
Merritt Starling. She's the daughter of Westcliff from the Wallflower series. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Exactly. Those Wallflowers coming, coming back. back. Okay, so I think that it's important, though, we have to sort of say outright, widows are a bit of a third rail in romance, like publishing-wise. When you write a widow, you kind of commit to selling fewer books on that book. Um, Often, and I don't know if you noticed this when you were looking through, because when we decide on a topic for interstitials, usually we have a couple of books in mind, but then we have to like do research and think like, oh, what are the books that I've read that are, you know, Jen and I've talked, we've said a thousand times, like we forget we've, we've never read an enemies to lovers. Never ever. Somebody asked us for enemies lovers. So anyway, but I don't know if you noticed this, that when you were looking, never, never in cover copy, does it say she's a widow? I mean, like, very, very, very rarely does it acknowledge that she's a widow. And that's because, presumably, widows don't sell as well. And I think there's something here. I don't know if we've ever talked about how when I was young and, you know, 14, (laughs) reading romance novels, um, marriage of convenience or, like, second chance chance love stories, like, they just never worked for me. Like, I just didn't sure. care. I didn't want to read about, like, we were young you know, marriage right. and trouble. Marriage and trouble especially. Like, forget it. I wanted nothing to do no. with that. And I think probably widows, too. Like, unless they were set up as, you know, prisoner of my desire style. Sure. I wasn't interested in the kind of quiet grief and, yes. you know, healing that had to be done for widowhood. And now... I'm <laughs> and I'm, I'm and I'm like it, oh yes. no I I get it like I think this is this is a nuanced like interesting emotional place yeah. for a heroine or a character in general to be in right? right and I think that um so that is a piece of it you're not you have to kind of go looking for right. widow books because publishing hides widows from you and I do think there's something interesting about life, right? In this, like, pub, like kind of the world hides widows yes. from you. We feel very uncomfortable about um, women and men, but I think men, it's a different kind of situation, right? Like unmatched people. Um, I think people who are men or present masculine get a, have like a different, and this is because of patriarchy, sure. right? Like we feel like, oh, they, sh- they, they need caretaking, they need love. And, like, women and people who present feminine are more, are given, um, are sort of hidden away. Like, we, we're we uncomfortable with the idea of, like, people who yeah. have, well, we're uncomfortable we with are, grief, right. right, as a society. Yes. Um, but this feels like a really, like, raw, difficult grief, and I think that we do hide Well, widows. and I think in a historical, I mean... <laughs> In a circle, it's literally hidden, right? Like you put black on the windows and you wear black and you cover you cover the fucking mirrors. How much do I know about how widows had to like I mean, I'm assuming it's all true, right? Had to like it's perfect. Right? Yeah, no, it's true. And it's really Victorian yeah, right, where that right. started to like super happen. But like, you know, and yet in there like there were lots of the church refused to have women attend funerals until the late 1800s. But I think like my point though, too, is like the only book I can think of 
literally, where men have an outward display of grieving is in Devil's Bride, where their Tali dies and they all wear black armbands to a certain dance. And then, like, they're not going to dance. And I was like, that's it? (laughs) Right? She can't look in a mirror for a year, but you motherfuckers just get to, like, put on an armband and refuse to waltz. Right. I mean, so that's it, too. Like, the... The performative mourning was so different for women and men in in these books. But again, performative, like, mourning for women was about isolating them, right? It was about, like, she can't be touched, she can't be engaged with, she can't have any joy, she can't, like, she has to do penance for some reason. And I think, you know, all of this is about patriarchy, right? I'm also sort of, like, dwelling on this because... um, there's there's been a death in my daughter's school. A, a father died, and I think like everybody is very uncomfortable about in, interacting with the, you know this child's mother because we don't know kind of how to how to process. Do you know it. about this book called "There's No Good Card for This"? Okay, I'm gonna. Oh, I do know about it's that It's amazing. Book. I'm going to put it in show notes. Kelly told me about it, and it essentially talks about how terrible we are culturally with talking to people who are going through things. And this book yeah. essentially gives you literally, like, don't say this, say this, and here's how you interact with people, and stop making it about you. And I refer to it a lot when I, like, before I have to write, like, a condolence card or before I'm going to see somebody. And I feel like it's this handbook for kindness that we all deserve to have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's it. It's like, you know, but God, you don't have to deal with that if you just enforce widows to, like, stay in their house for a year. Right? Yeah, you have to wear black so that we can all see you coming. I don't have to be uncomfortable anymore because I have made it, Mm -hmm. you, like, essentially go away. Right. Right. So, I don't know, we're sort of... I think it's fine. I mean, that was a that was a detour, but um, an important one, I think, yeah. because I do think, like, grief is... This is one of the reasons why we, we haven't talked... We didn't... We've never talked about Beach Read on the podcast, but, like, it's one of the reasons why I loved Beach Read so much. It's, like, this sort of awareness. And, again, I sort of feel like romance is able to do this in a different way than a lot of other genres because it's it's an emotional uh, it's it's a genre. Now you should of feelings, say it's right? her father that dies in Beach Street. She's not a widow. Just to oh yeah clarify, yeah. She's not a widow, but her father dies, and grief is acknowledged in this book. This this whole book is about finding love while also grieving, and I think that that is such an important because it's about finding hope too. In grief. Um, anyway, but that's fine. <laughs> we are we, we are where we are this week. <laughs> I don't know. But so this actually gives me a chance to talk about Naima, right? Because I think one of the other pieces that we have to talk about is that um it is rare to see a romance novel, even now, I think, where the heroine um has been, you know, really in love with her first husband. Um, I do think that for a long time, like, heroes were given a different kind of pass. Mm-hmm. Like, I think about those old Diana Palmer books, and heroes were allowed to sort of feel moderate mm-hmm. feelings for their, for their, you know, lost spouses. But in this case, I think um, 
Naima really loves a widow. Yeah. And I, I mean, I say that in the sense that, like, I can think off the top of my head without looking of four books by Naima where um, the heroine is a widow. And so I think some, you know, some, some, some authors just have, they have a favorite trope and this is clearly one of her favorites. Um, so one of the black, the blackout billionaire books is a widow book. Um, her most recent book, um, the road to Rose Bend, which just came out last week, the hero is a widower. Um, and then and one who, you know, had a happy, like, is is grieving his, actively grieving his wife. Um, but I'm going to recommend Sin and Ink because I have a real kink for I'm in love with my brother's widow. Uh- <laughs> which I get, you guys. I get- No shame in that game, Sarah. <laughs> I get that it's packed with problems. <laughs> Listen, no, nobody does it better. Fun fact historically, you weren't actually allowed to marry your brother's really? widow. Um, yes, we, which you will know if you have read Lorraine Heath's The Earl Take The Earl Takes All, which is the book that I affectionately refer to as Gorilla Twins. <laughs> because the hero... We, I did a whole episode on learning the tropes about this book. You don't have... <laughs> you don't... You can go listen to it there. It is truly bananas. Um, but the heroine of that book is married to a man who is an identical twin, and she is pregnant, and he and his identical twin take themselves off on, like, a boy's weekend to wherever there are gorillas. Africa? I don't—now I'm sort of showing my non-knowledge of— yes. Of yes, animals, I know, Mike. but where they go to wherever there are. I can't gorillas. even. I can't uh, even identify regular barnyard animals, let alone like. I yes. don't know where. Anyway, they go. They go on a boat to wherever they, wherever there are gorillas, and um, her husband is mauled and dies by gorilla attack. Sure. And as he is dying, the story is told. Um, he basically says, "Like you can't tell her." That I died because she might lose the baby, and the baby is the heir right, to right. whatever. And so this hero is like, yes, this all checks out. That I'll go pretend fun. to be you. And so <laughs> he returns to England and pretends to be his brother, who has been mauled by a gorilla and is also the earl. I love that shit. And fun. um, like basically, but then like it's like I can't. I can't like sleep with this one. Like, yeah, I, it is so packed in only the way Lorraine Heath can do this. It is so packed with like emotional fraughtness. <laughs> and you're just like, you're like, how on earth is this going to work out? Because ultimately this lady is going to have to realize yeah, right. that you are pretending to be her now dead <laughs> husband. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Right. Wow. Anyway, as part of that, there is, it, there's a whole piece of it, which is, and we can't get married. Sure. Like, he in his head is like, it doesn't matter if I ever tell her, because even if I did tell oh, her I that I am married. not him, and I tell her that I love her, we can't get married legally because she's my sure. brother's widow. Anyway, that was a long way of, so there you go. There's another There's going to be so many. I, I think today we're just going to be like, it's just going to be like, 
barrage of recommendations from here on in. Anyway, now, Contemporary America 2021. I love this you scenario. Your, book. Yeah, you can marry your brother's widow. Um, so the premise here is um, Eden is had a, you know, childhood sweetheart who she loved more than anything in the whole world, Connor, and they had this, like, very happy marriage. Um, and uh, she, and you know, Connor dies of an aneurysm, has an aneurysm, and um, she is living with his family. Like, his parents have taken her in and basically been like, you can stay with us forever. We love you. You are a daughter. Um, and his brother, who is an MMA, ex-MMA fighter, now tattoo Obviously. artist, because thank you, Naima, <laughs> of course he is, um, is basically like, okay, well, you know, I, I'm here for you. Like, we're all grieving. Like, this is so hard. And also, I think I have been in love with you forever. I mean, yeah. And it's so pining and, like, yearning and, oh, just aching. And she's like, oh, this, they're both like, we cannot do this. (laughs) Like, this is really wrong, but very right. And it's so yeah, sexy. Yeah, super sexy book. You know, the pining, I think, is also a, a real... If you're looking for pining, often it shows up in a widow or widower because the one person has been in love with you all along and never thought they could have you, and now you're grief-stricken and they would never, but they are desperately in love with you. And a really good example of that is On Broken Wings by Chanel Clayton. Now, people know her because she wrote, was it One Night in Cuba Night Havana? I mean, it has a gorgeous cover. I think that whole series. And my understanding is that, I haven't read those. I think they're more like women's fiction. But this um series the wild aces is all like kind of straight romance and this is a book that commonly when people talk about like tell me the book the highest angst the best pining book often people <laughs> will mention this book because danny's husband died they um he was a pilot like uh, in the army or navy or whatever whatever people fly planes in and um he and his uh, his plane went down a year earlier. And I'm pretty sure the book opens, like, essentially the day the plane goes down, and then it's, like, a year later. And her, um, his, her husband's, like, best friend and, like, squadron commander, right? So someone he served with has been in love with her all along. And so he is, like, you know, like, a good guy. I mean, like, there's that fraternity in the military, that sense that, like, you help out the people that were in your... You know, I've seen Top Gun. I know how this works. And he, of course, like, offers to help out around the house and do things for her. (laughs) And his name's Easy. Um, And so, I mean, yeah, it is. is. Right? And, oh, man, the pining in this book is intense. Like, this is really, if you just want that, like, slow burn, he has been in love with her forever, but respects her way too much to, like, and the guilt over then, like, longing for his best friend's wife. Mm. I mean, this really has it all. This has, like, the full emotional 
package right there. So people, and people like really love this book. Like this is like one of those books where if you put it out there on like Twitter, people are like, oh, that book. So this is, if you're really yeah. looking for it to be like tortured, <laughs> this is the one for you. Yeah. Like long time pining is oh, really, yeah. it's a really it's good, good um, you know, there's what the people who don't know about the Bridgerton books outside of the mm-hmm. show don't know about Francesca, the F Bridgerton, who's not in right. the show yet. Um, but Francesca is a widow book. Elisa James has written a ton yeah. of these like pining widow books. Um, Lorraine, but if you're looking for historical pining widows, Lorraine is is where it's at. There's, I mean, I mean, she just does pining better than anyone, I think. I think another interesting, cool thing that I think is happening in, in and I think it's Olivia Waite's uh, series, there's often widows who have been, like, sort of maybe happily married or not, but then after their husband dies, discovers a love for a woman. And so I, I'm pretty sure that was in A Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics, and I haven't read the the latest one, but I believe also is a widow. And so I also really mm-hmm. think there's, like, a cool thing now where widows now, right, historical widows now do not have to play into that archetype we talked at the beginning. And so we see right. now those historical widows, remember, it was like, freedom, should I find love again? But often there is now an intermediate step, which is, who am I? What are the things I'm interested yes. in? And then I can also find love again. And so those might be uh, books that are are worth checking out as well, which I think is pretty cool. I actually have two in that world, um, which are not like super modern, but modern enough. Um, so the first one is Sherry Thomas's, we're going to be reading Sherry Thomas's Ravishing the Heiress next week. That's next week's read. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about Sherry because we're doing Ravishing the Heiress. And I really remembered that I really loved Beguiling the Beauty, which is, um, a widow, the heroine is Venetia and, um, she is a widow twice over the first time she was married to a bad, in a bad marriage. Like, she was in a bad marriage. And then the second time, she chose to marry an older man who had, who was in a long-term relationship with a man. Got it. So, um, like, she, she, they, like, both got something out of it. This older man could, like, live his life in the mm-hmm. Regency, you know, without being judged or jailed, right. right? And she, the understanding was that when he died, she would inherit his fortune. And that was fine right, with her. Sure. That, that worked out fine with her. So we meet her after, the book begins, like, after his death with her traveling to the United States. Like, she's gone to, like, she's got friends. She's, like, living her life finally free of men and, like, the trappings of marriage and um, all the kind of burdens that come with being a woman mm-hmm. in the world. Like, she has money, and money is power. And the he- the hero is um, an academic, and he's giving a speech at um, Harvard. And so she and her friends, like, turn up at Harvard for this speech, and he starts to give the speech, and it becomes clear that he is giving a speech about her. That, like, eight years earlier, they had met, and, like, he'd, like, fallen for her. And it's all about, like, it's, um, it's a, the speech is, a is like, a veiled, it's veiled about her, and then, um, but it's really about, like, 
illusion, like perception versus reality. And she's like pissed because she thinks, because he's basically like, she was so beautiful, but she actually was like a, you know, a a viper. She like killed two husbands or whatever. And then, um, and she's like, excuse me, (laughs) what? And then she vows in like classic Sherry fashion. She's like, I'm going to seduce this guy and break his heart. Yes, you are. Damn girl. So there's that one. And then and also in the historical world, it is uh, is Elizabeth Hoyt's Raven Prince, um, who's slightly different. She is widowed um, by her kind of, again, very t- mediocre, if I remember correctly, first husband, and left in a lot of debt. Mm. And so she's like, shit, do? if I don't, I don't want to marry again. Marriage is not like the goal. Right. And she's like, I need a job. So she goes to like the crusty. I mean, Elizabeth Hoyt loves a Beauty and the mm-hmm. Beast story. Loves a Beauty and the Beast story. The Raven Prince is her debut historical. And I still believe like it is my favorite Elizabeth Hoyt book. Um, it is wildly sexy. And the hero is kind of like a scarred, wounded grump who's an earl. And he needs a private secretary. And she turns up, like, as he's, like, fired his 14th secretary or whatever. And he, she's like, I'll be your secretary. And he's like, you're a woman. <laughs> and she's like, I can do the job. And then there's, like, a sex club scene where, like, she goes mad. He goes masked. And she goes masked. And, that. like, they have this, like, secret sexy time. It's very hot. If you have not read The Raven Prince, you should. But that's another good one where Anne, the heroine of that book, is like she's she's doing it for yeah. herself. Right. Like I think widowhood gives women freedom to captain right. their own ship. So can I talk about Wrong to Need You by Alicia Rye? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's really one. my favorite of that series. Although I will also say that this series, its three books are so tightly intertwined. I it's hard to imagine you could start at book two, but maybe you can. It's been a while since I've read it. But in this one, um, Sadia is, you know, uh, her her husband has died, and she is, you know, he was in part of a family where there was sort of this big family feud, and she's just like, I'm going to keep my head down and, like, run my cafe and raise my child and, like, kind of keep my mouth shut. And her husband's brother comes back to town. So back to that, like, the brother one. I should have brought this up earlier. And his name's Jackson, and he essentially left town when everyone essentially um, accused, it was, like, accused of a crime he didn't commit, essentially, is how the blurb starts. And, you know, he kind of, like, left town knowing that everyone thought he did it, even if they didn't have enough proof, essentially, to, like, put him in jail or whatever. And he, he comes back, and he, of course has always been in love with with Sadia, even though, you know, she married his brother. And, you know, these two kind of coming together in, in, like, kind of despite the feud and all of the business in the town is really fascinating. But I really loved her as a character. She is not 
just like sitting around, like sort of, you know, she works as a bartender and she's, um, you know, sexually active, picks up, you know, men or women that she finds really attractive as she's, you know, running the business. She's like living her life. And I really like that sense that she wasn't just like kind of stuck waiting, you know, like Sleeping Beauty if to be kind of pulled out again. Um, so this is one of my favorite Um, My favorite book of that series is this one, but also just a really great story about someone who's really, like, God, been dealt a shitty hand. And it's just, and, and, you know, she has her problems with her own family of origin. She feels like they don't accept her. And her, her, she's just like, I'm just going to get it done. She's a great character. Yeah, that's a really good one. I like that one a lot. Um, you know what else I'm thinking about is the madness of Lord Ian yeah. McKenzie. We've talked about that one, which I think. Surely yeah. we've talked about. But um Beth, the heroine of that book, is a widow who had a, a very happy marriage. And part of the joy of that book is that she loves sex. Yeah. It's historical. And like it's rare in a historical that you find a heroine who's like overtly enjoys sex, yeah. like going into right. the book. Um, and I think, again, that's one of those moments where her being a widow makes yeah, it easier. Absolutely, right? Um, another, okay, so can I talk about another contemporary where, mm-hmm. okay, so I, all right, so I've been thinking about another um, common, like, trope with widows is I, I am a, whatever happened to my first husband was tragic and I'm afraid it will happen again. Right. I have one of those too. So yeah, go. the book I'm going to mm-hmm. talk about is called Fast Track by Aaron McCarthy. And this was literally a 2009. Like this is probably, I think I've maybe mentioned this series by Aaron McCarthy. It's the first contemporary series I really read um, on my Kindle. And I really read probably like that's really memorable in, like, sort of 10 years, like, sort of in the, from, like, Jenny Cruzy to, like, sort of Aaron McCarthy. There was, like, a big gap for me because I was raising my child. He was, you know, he was born in 2003, and then there's, like, sort of those dark years where you're, like, I don't know what I read. And this, it also was, like, it was set during, it was set against NASCAR, right? So, like, all mm-hmm. of the, um, all of the people are part of, like, the NASCAR world are, like, either drivers or, like, working in that world. And the the heroine of this book, um, Tamara, she is a widow. Her husband was a driver who died in a crash. And she is um, 32. She has two kids. She has a job. And her husband died two years ago. And she is at, like, sort of a cocktail party. I will say I reread the beginning this morning and there is a lot of like, it feels dated um, in a way that probably now will honestly kind of maybe feel offensive. There's a lot of talk of like testosterone making you a man and all this business. Um, But once you kind of get past that, the story is, and I forgot how hot this book was. She meets a guy at this cocktail party. That's like a fundraiser for something that a lot of drivers support and, you know, they flirt and she actually is with, um, with somebody else and they have like a real bad fight. And so her ex, her, her, her husband's best friend is like, just get, you know, get away from that guy. Go spend the night in my coach, which I guess means like their trailer or whatever. 
And, you know, she's, right. and she's, meanwhile, has met this really hot guy named Alec, and, and he's like, Alec will take you there and get you there. And these two have this hot one-night stand right at the beginning of the book. And I was like, oh, remember when contemporaries were really sexy? And she wakes up the next morning, and her husband's friend, like, essentially comes into the, you know, he's like, I need to get my, you know, driving suit or whatever, and walks in on them in bed together. And it's like, holy shit. And she realizes that this guy she's with is 25. So not only is she a widow, and not only is he so much younger, but she also realizes yikes, that yikes. he is also a driver. She just thought he was on, like, the pit crew. And she really has to, like, she, like, doesn't know if she could take that take that anymore, right? Like, her first husband died driving a car. Does she have it in her to, like, be with another race car driver? And I honestly really like this book. It's hot. They, like, later on, they are at a dinner party and go have sex in a bathroom. Like, (laughs) they just cannot keep their hands off each other. And I just thought the, but, so it's hot, it's sexy, but also that real internal, like, who am I and can I live with the fear that I did? And she didn't really have the fear when she was younger, right? It was just her husband's job, but now she has that fear. And I I, I love that book. So, hot finish. No, what I call it, what's it called? Flat Out Sexy. Fast Track. I don't know. There's a bunch of words. There's a bunch of them. A fast Track is what you well, said. Well, I don't think that's it. There's that's. I think the series okay. is called Fast Track. I'm going to find out. I think the book is called... Okay. okay. Sorry, everybody. You know how I am with titles. Um, I'm pretty sure the first book in this series is... Yeah, it's called Flat Out Sexy. It's the Fast Track series. Yeah. Um... All right, I want to give just like a quick. I have two more that I think are right, one more cool. Yeah. Um, so I want to give a quick nod to Bella Andres. If you have never read, if you love contemporary, just like straight yeah. contemporary, like small town, fast paced, kind they're, of. Like, you know what they are? They're like textbook romance. Like you are gonna yeah. get what you want out of a Bella Andre contemporary romance. You are. So if you love that, um, you should really read Bella Andre because she's one of these people who just like, I mean, she really, I think she might be, and I know that this is this is a big statement, but I think she might be the closest thing that we in 2021 have to Nora, mm-hmm. where like every book just sort of like Works. hits yeah. the mark, right? Um, she has a whole series. She's a giant family called the Sullivans. There are many, many strands of it all over the country. The original Sullivans were in San Francisco. And book number three is Can't Help Falling in Love. And this, what I love about this series is that I think it's like seven or eight brothers. Mm. Like, all brothers. And they're all exceedingly good at what they do. So there's, like, the baseball player, the movie star, the firefighter, the guy who owns a vineyard. And so it's—and every one of them is just, like, top of his game. All heroes are kings, right? Like, in, a Be- in Belle Andre's world, every one of her heroes is a king. Gabe Sullivan is a uh, firefighter. Sullivan, and he falls for a woman, um, Megan, who is um, her husband. She's a she's a, a military widow, so her husband was a fighter pilot and died, leaving her with uh, her seven year old daughter. 
Um, and now she's met Gabe and he's like charming and funny and smart and beautiful and he's perfect in every way and a firefighter. And she's like, no way am I doing, you know, scary job yeah. here. Like scary job husband again. Like I just Do can't it. face this kind of fear again. She she just can't do the emotion of it yeah. anymore. And so there's kind of a really beautiful, gentle love story here where he's like, I can't change my job and I can't make it not scary, but I can love you as you are meant to Ugh. be loved. Right? I love that. And it's really nice. So there's that. And then here's one that's like kind of out of left field, but... Cool. Alexis Hall has a series called the Kate Kane series. Have you read these? So they're lesbian paranormal detective romance. Sign me up right now. (laughs) I mean, very cool. Uh, They're set in London. And Kate, the main character, is a paranormal investigator. Um, And she has, she's grieving a dead Mm -hmm. partner. And so there there are there are maybe four books. Three four? Four books. There are four books. And she's a great it's set it's it's you know, you're written it's written all in Kate's POV and it's a really fun, like incredibly different. You know, when we did the Alexis Hall episode, we talked about how like his books are always he doesn't have a brand. He has just like, this is what he's right. writing right now. And it's often, you know, a different thing than whatever he's written before. And this is one of those things where like lesbian paranormal uh, investigator romance. I'm Me for too. It. Obviously. <laughs> so, um, so highly recommend. Uh, you can begin that series with Iron and Velvet, which I think is a pretty great title. Um and I think you'll enjoy that. It's it's cool. There's like fairies and vampires and you know, but also it's all you know, it's all classic Alexis. Right. Everything's very funny and clever. So can I can I throw can. one more out there? Although I feel like I'll say that and then we'll think of three more, but it's fine. So another okay, because I've been thinking a lot about like the types of things that go wrong or like that widows are facing. And in, um, okay, one of my favorite books actually is, it's called Aurora Blazing by, I love this series by Jesse Mihalik. Um, It's like yeah. all like space princess, the space princess kind of thing. And in this second book um, of this series, the, the heroine's name is Bianca. And she has been widowed but then, like, after she's widowed, she sort of returns back to her house. She's, like, it's, like, one of, it's, like, all, she's, like, one of them, her, she comes from one of those powerful families in the universe or whatever, right? And so she essentially had agreed because, you know, that's your duty. You're basically, like, you marry because it's going to be a good match. You know, your family is going to be able to, you know, it's like a political marriage, not like a marriage of love. Mm-hmm. And but she was miserable. And and the thing is, and I whatever, it's fine. It's a little bit of a spoiler. It turns out that her husband was essentially like doing scientific experiments and using her as like a guinea pig. And she is so ashamed of this and kind of horrified by what he did to her, to her brain, that when she returns home, she basically 
her shame is like keeps her from telling her family just how miserable she was. So she won't tell anyone. She won't tell any of her siblings what she's been through. She's kind of secretly, like, helping other women who are in dire straits. She has this, like, you know, she's essentially, like, um, like the power broker in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where it's, like, she's she has, like, spies everywhere. She needs to know everything. And what happens is when her... Um, she essentially is like, I got to go solve a problem. She's assigned a bodyguard, and he is essentially, his name's Ian Bishop. He's the the director of, like, house, their house security. And, um, you know, she's always, like, really had a crush on him, or even possibly they had, like, a relationship when, you know, she was younger. But she's never going to trust anyone again after what her husband did to her. And so, you know, and, but I think, like, the added part is, like, that she won't even tell her family what she's been through. And I think in that way, that is kind of back to that old school, like, first widow archetype, right? Where she's really, Mm -hmm. like, no one's ever going to get to me again. I, I'm free now, and I'm going to stay that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But of course. But of course. But of course. I mean, I do think that that's also, there's something powerful about the kind of specter piece of the widowhood, right? If she's just divorced or she was in a bad relationship and now she's out of that relationship, the healing can kind of happen in a different way. Yeah, it happens in a different way because it's you and it's, it ends up being you and your partner or partners against the world, Mm -hmm. right? But in this case, like there is no, it's, it's a literal ghost. So, like, we have to, the fight isn't tangible. It's, you know, the the growth isn't, doesn't happen just by virtue of, like, telling off your first husband. It happens by virtue of, like, somehow coming to terms with, like, grief or love or pain that you experienced and finding space and hope to love again. And that is immensely powerful. And I think that's why these books often work right. so yeah. well emotionally. Like, they are they are often incredibly emotional. Because I think one of the things that romance, like, promises is closure, right? Like, you're going to get everything all wrapped up with a bow at the end. Like, that's the promise of the HEA. And, and, but if someone you love or hate dies before you can have that sense of closure— that is there, and it shows a way that people can, like, move on, right? Like, your life didn't end when that person died, and so you have to figure out how you're going to move on and move forward. So I think it is really powerful because I think it's introducing something into romance that romance is, like, working very hard to, like, eliminate, which is the sense that, like, love can conquer all, right? And I think that's why. Yeah. I think it's, like, a really interesting trope in that way, but I think it ultimately is perfectly suited for romance, too, because it really is saying, like, love is for everyone. Everyone can find love again. I love it. Also blowing up Chicago. Okay. <laughs> so blowing up Chicago. Um, well, let us know if you're a widow lover, a uh, widow romance lover. Let us know what your favorites are. We didn't talk um, a lot about widowers, but if people want to throw some of those out there oh, too, yeah, that's we didn't okay. Talk about we, widowers. I think it's a different thing. It's another it's a different. That's thing, another. You know? 
That's another podcast. But yeah, well, Naima Simone has a widower out this week. Road to Rose Bend. And so anyway, uh, let us know if you have a favorite widow romance on Twitter or Instagram. Um, We have had some requests for interstitial topics and we hear them and we have them coming. So, um, but we are, we are backed up. We have a lot of stuff to get through, through the summer. I think almost if we're going to take a break, we need to, you know, think that through too. Um, Next week's read is Sherry Thomas's Ravishing the Heiress. Oh. Which is one of my favorite historicals. I don't know if I've ever read it. Have you started it, Jen? I'll start this afternoon. Uh, Living on the Edge, Sarah. Uh, In um, That's fine. Then our next book after that, we're finally going to do that Anne Stewart book. (gasps) Yeah. We are. And that means if you're going to read along with us, you're going to have to find a copy because it's out of print. We're going to do Anne Stewart's Tangled Lies. Yes. And it is. Which is the one where she falls in love with her brother, she thinks. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to have to buy the sucker you. So we're going to tell you that now. Can't wait. I mean, snatch them up. I got mine at, for like $2.99 oh, on yeah, eBay. or like thrift books. Yeah. So, that's fun. And uh, that's Faded Mates for the week. We're, uh, we are produced by Eric Mortensen. And you can find us online at fadedmates.net, where our you know, very fancy new website lives. And uh, you can buy pins and stickers from Best Friend Kelly. You can also join the Romance Sticker of the Month Club, which is the April one I just saw yesterday, and it's amazing. I'm very excited. Kelly gifted me a membership, so I feel very blessed. Oh, really? Hi. I'm almost done. Give me one second. And then, (laughs) um, and, oh, here, come here. Here, maybe you could say... What could you, what could she you say? Could say uh, have a great week, everybody. You have chocolate on your face. Right. I could say I have chocolate on my face. Say have a great week, everybody. <laughs>